Our partners at Pure Vita Labs are leaders in the cannabis space working towards standardization in the industry. If you are looking for more education about cannabis or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, then the University of Rhode Island has a program to help prepare you for a career in this evolving space. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the online cannabis certificate program covers topics related to product development, chemical analysis and testing, and patient and customer therapeutics. The next application deadline for the spring 2023 session is November 29th, and courses start January 10th. Join them at two upcoming info sessions and learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call at 401-874-5280. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Do you know what's in your cannabis? Recreational use legalization is on the horizon and consumer health is Pure Vita Lab's priority. If you use cannabis, choose lab-tested legal cannabis products over unlabeled black market products, which are likely to contain harmful contaminants. Legal products offer a safe and controlled cannabis experience. Competent testing labs are the gatekeepers to the legal cannabis industry. Pure Vita Labs, founded by physicians and PhD chemists, is rooted in science and built on integrity. They are committed to helping cultivators and product manufacturers deliver clean and accurately labeled cannabis products to consumers. Know what's in your cannabis, know your dose, control your experience, and visit purevitalabs.com. That's P-U-R-E-V-I-T-A-L-A-B-S dot com. All right, so welcome into Inside Cannabis here on the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm Bill Bartholomew. We are joined, as always, by the gentleman from Pure Vita Labs. Um, as always, a quick introduction from each of you. Yep. Dr. Jason Inachilli. Make it quick again. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, super that. quick. One. That's it. And <laughs> I am Dr. Jonathan Martin. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, today, you know, as part of this kind of Cannabis 101 dynamic that we've established here over the last episode or so, you know, I think talking about consumption methods and, you know, especially for people who are just exploring this area of wellness, of recreation, however you want to frame it, is something that's that's really critical and, and some basic questions that I think a lot of people have. And let's start with something very 360 degree when we're talking about cannabis, which is what are the differences between indica, sativa, and hy- hybrid classification you, you when it comes about- Rudy Alice. <laughs> There's a third one in there. Um, you know, those those distinctions, that sort of nomenclature um, is related to um, the actual morphology of the plant as it grows. And, um, and indica place of origin, really. Mm. And, right. So indicas are traditionally short, bushy, stout plants. Um, and sativas, cannabis sativa, um, is is a, a tall growing can be very large actually think of like rows of Sharon size I mean can be big um, plant and then uh, cannabis rudialis is uh, it's also sort of it's a very it's a weed right it's a short very shrubby um, kind of plant which we don't use much at all um, but right. the, that nomenclature has sort of become synonymous with people thinking that one one term will provide one psychoactive pathway and the other will provide another and and that is most people believe that if it's called an indica or somebody says it was an indica it's going to be a more sedating or relaxing um experience and uh if it's a sativa it will be a more uplifting energizing experience and i i couldn't tell you i don't think that could be further from the truth for the really? most for the most yeah, part wow. yeah. yeah for the most part 
Well, I, I mean, I think if you're, if you're talking about like, you know, OG, original genetic strains, right? I mean, so the, the indica type strains, they were, they were sort of more of the, um, you know, the, the sort of Himalaya region, you know, the Kush varieties that, you know, the genetics of those strains tend to produce compounds that are more sort of relaxing and sedating. So people have associated the original indica strains with more of a body high more of a relaxation high whereas the sativa plants that grow in more dry arid climates like um, afghanistan those tend to be taller sort of you know again i so narrow leaf plants is what we're sort of referring to now when we talk about sativa versus broad leaf plants when we talk about indica but the sort of narrow leaf spectrum the sativa spectrum was typically more sort of cerebral high more energy um you know laughter giddiness talkativeness um you know that sort of uh, creative thinking process that goes on i mean that was more of a sativa type effect so the industry you know very early on you know they sort of started using that nomenclature to differentiate one effect from another now we know that everything is a spectrum and the industry now has evolved to the point where you know cultivators are, are specifically breeding newer strains that they're creating on their own to create a more sort of balanced or desired effect that is sort of equally a head high and a body high and there are you know various degrees in between so everything essentially in that sense is is now more or less a hybrid mm -hmm. and this is a very important point because we still see products being marketed as indica dominant sativa dominant or hybrid and i don't know that it necessarily means what it used to mean and because the genetics has changed, because the market has totally changed, um, I think we need to start looking more at what's in these products exactly. to know what the effect is rather than what somebody is calling it. Um, and that, that holds true as well for, for various strain names. I mean, you got to remember these are plants, they're living things, and they produce the active ingredients, these oils, in response to uh, factors in the environment. So the amount of nutrients, the amount of light they get. Um, you can take a certain genetic um, you know, uh, lineage of plant and grow it in two different environmental conditions and end up with a different sort of ratio of the, the active ingredients in there. And the effect could be different. So just because something is called Blue Dream in Rhode Island doesn't mean it's the same as the Blue Dream that someone may have experienced in California. Let's just back up for, for one second here, a little science lesson, right? So we've got a plant which has all these genes in it and those genes code for the expression of certain compounds. And those genes are turned on and off, just as Jay says, by environmental stimuli. You can overstimulate certain genes. I mean, you can genetically modify certain genes. Uh, in the lab, you can do it. You can do it by simple Mendelian genetics, right? You actually choose your, your mate and crossbreed plants to bring out certain, um, certain characteristics of one plant. And having done that for so many years, we have sort of crossbred all of these cannabis strains and so those two distinctions sort of become less important. What does matter is what were the genes present in the plant? What were the cannabinoids that were actually expressed? So we call the genotype, the actual codes that are there. And we call the expression of those genes, call that the phenotype. What does it actually express? And if you gave it more nitrogen rich fertilizer, will it pr produce more CBD? I mean, just as an example. And if you produce more CBD with some you know certain terpene profile it could be just like some other cannabis strain out there that was was from a different genetic lineage but had the same capabilities of sort of becoming 
this other one. So the, the names are really something that we've, I think we have to sort of get away from. Um, right. You know, thinking that it's, yeah, Blue Dream or, or slapping these names on these plants and thinking that you can go to a, a dispensary in one place and then in, and, and in one another, it's just, they're not the same. What matters is what are the compounds that were actually expressed during that growing uh, season and wound up in that plant that was harvested. And then it matters how the plant was kept. It matters how it was stored. It matters how you consume it. All of these other things matter about how you're actually going to use those compounds that are present. And indica and sativa is just too blunt of an instrument to even begin to uh, to yeah. sort of um, dialecticize the all the different varieties that are out there and what those potential effects could be done. Right, and I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a while before um, you know the cannabis culture sort of divorces itself from that terminology. There's, um, there's no better right now that that's easy to use. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, we are starting to see a shift in in terminology to more of like, hey, like broad leaf spectrum, which is more of that sort of indica sedating, relaxing versus narrow leaf, you know, which is more of that sativa uplifting. But that being said. I, I just wanted to put in another point here for part of the reason why we got into this as a lab is we realize how important the labs are going to be in characterizing the active ingredients that are in these products to help, you know, sort of let consumers know what the likely effects will be from that product. It's no longer about strain name. It's no longer about indica sativa hybrid. It's about, hey, what is in this product as a result of how it was grown and the genetics that produced it? And how is that going to affect you downstream? And there is enough research now that we can start and we have started looking at. Um, When you do a laboratory analysis on a product and you get all those cannabinoids and you get all those terpenes that are in that product, you can then sort of enter that into a, an AI engine, if you will. It's a logic engine, really, more than AI. To no trade help. secrets. No trade secrets. No, of course not. But <laughs> but but this is this is what's important, right? So we take you, you can look at the various ratios and concentrations of these, and you can go to the literature and you can find there have been corollary studies which show that these terpenes tend to induce a feeling of X, and so. If you have all of those ratios and you know what is in that product exactly, there is a label that can be presented to someone to give you an idea of what to expect. So instead of saying, I want a sativa because I'm going kite sailing, it's going to be, I want something that you know has the label that says energetic and uplifting and actually has some science backing the fact that the terpenes and the cannabinoids in this product have been shown in these ratios to make most people feel more energized than their baseline and and more uplifted than their baseline. Um, And so that's, I think, the nomenclature that people will go toward. We're going to have to come up with a a very small sort of uh, group of words that we all agree with that can sort of like fit those scenarios for people, but they won't be indica and sativa. (laughs) Yeah, no, they won't. And and again, we can get into a discussion about terpenes because I do think that, you know, we saw terpenes have a little bit of a heyday in, in, you know, the press and the discussion around cannabis, you know, in the 2016, 2017 timeframe. Then it sort of kind of went away and THC has been all the rage, which, you know, again, it it sort of irritates me because I, I feel like the the, the push toward high potency THC products in cannabis markets is moving us away from the broad potential that this product could have, you know, in the lives of, of more or less every individual um, it's, should it's, they choose to use it's it. It's pushing the market toward as if you went into a liquor store and all they sold was grain alcohol. 
Mm. What would you buy there? Mm-hmm. Right. You would right. turn around, you'd walk out. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, people, th- this is now, you know, look, technology has brought us into a time where we have devices, we have, um, you know, extract technology. We can get these products in a form where they're much easier to microdose. And it isn't as uncontrolled as it was back in the 60s when, you know, somebody rolled a joint or a blunt and you just, you know, you, you smoked it till it was gone. And then you would just, you know, it, it was what it was. You see know, what, if it wasn't what happens potent, next. then <laughs> right. you had an enjoyable experience. If it <laughs> no. was super potent, then you were sort of off, you know, doing your own thing. Never and people looked at you again. and they thought you were weird. Right. But, you know, and that's the point is that, you know, look, THC is only one of a number of ingredients in cannabis. It is not the end all be all when it comes to therapeutic potential. It is also not, you know, the end all be all when it comes to the expected effect. But I will tell you that, you know, as John John alluded to, we we are of the mindset that cannabis is very much like wine and it's a pairing system. You know, you cannot guarantee an effect to an individual consumer. I mean, that, that effect depends on a number of factors, one of which is the environment that you're in, um, your baseline mood state. You know, so to say that a product is going to make you happy, I mean, define happy. Hey, if you're I mean, locked but, in a Turkish prison and you've got the uplifted strain, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's going to make you very Right. Happy. Yeah, but I mean, and again, it may not make you happy, but it can actually promote elevation of mood, and that's the point. So, this this whole like pairing cannabis with activities is now becoming a major focus, and it's where science is really focused. That's where we're focused now, because there are certain strains that if you, as a consumer, know in advance, okay, I'm going into this type of an environment, maybe it's a social function or whatever, and I want to feel a certain way. I'm prepping myself to feel that way. There there are various ratios of these components that can help you achieve that mental state. Um, they are not guarantees. There are certainly others that will pull you in the opposite direction for sure. But this is where the guidance comes in. This is where the information you know, that comes from the lab becomes very, very important in helping to guide people to choose the right product for their intended experience or mood state. We, we want people to be able to walk in, or at least I do, personal opinion, I'll speak for myself. I'd like to see people be able to walk into a dispensary and say, I'm going to the movies today. I'd like to, it's a, it's a, it's a new Marvel film. You want something that's going to be relaxing, but focusing, right? Something that'll make your sit down in the chair, not make you jittery, not make you want to wag your leg the whole time, but focus on the film, pay attention to it and almost make things vivid and really enjoy the film more. We want people to be able to go in there and say, you know, where's the Netflix and chill strain, right? Versus something that's, I'm going out on a hike. I really want to be engaged. I want my wits about me. I'm going to be like, you know, traversing some serious terrain here. And what can I, what can I find that is not going to make me want to sit down and find a shady spot and take a nap, but will actually make me engaged in my environment, pay attention and be sort of like more active and more energized. We want people to be able to rely on the label that tells them this is more likely to produce that than, than the opposite. And if you have an enjoyable experience with it, hopefully you get to go back, find the same brand, find the same product and have a reliable second experience, right? The, the consistency of that product is important. And just like, you know, going back to the alcohol, if you went and you had, you know, my favorite beer is Guinness, it's 4.2% alcohol. Well, if I went and I had one that was like 7%, it put me on my butt. I'd be like, well, holy smokes, I don't think I can't drink Guinness anymore. I don't know what I'm going to get. So the consistency of the products is hugely important. I think most people are going to sort of move into this this 
uh, method of identifying the products that they, they want to use based on the situations that they're going into. Yeah, and one other point, you know, I don't want anyone in, in the audience here to think that we are saying that cannabis is uh, appropriate for every single situation. Um, no, please and don't. Again, please and, don't and I would say that, using it. No, exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, if you're operating machine, if there's Nothing. you know uh, safety at stake, then cannabis. And, and I'm not saying that in the appropriate microdose that it couldn't make you more effective. What I'm saying is that the mm-hmm. technology isn't there yet where you can actually become that precise with dosing. And you do have a tendency to, you know, if you take in too much THC, it can actually cause distraction. Yeah. And so, it can, so, and it's very hard to control that, especially with these really high potency products on the market right, right now. I think there's a rule of thumb. Um, THC is, it's really important to understand that you can have cannabis products that do not have THC in them. But THC itself, uh, again, in my opinion, um, is like alcohol. So if you would not do something with a glass of wine in your hand, you should not do it under the influence or having ingested any amount of THC. Okay, just as a rule of thumb, use the idea of THC presence in a product just like the presence of alcohol. So you probably shouldn't be working (laughs) and using this. You probably shouldn't be operating equipment and using this. Um, However, there are cannabis products that have no THC in them that are totally non-psychoactive that, you know, some people can't work without them, right? Yeah, Uh, there are hemp varieties too. And again, just to to draw the distinction here, I mean, hemp is cannabis, make no mistake about it. It just has less than 0.3% THC in it, which is not psychoactive in the majority of cases. So if you're talking about ingredients like terpenes that help to modulate mood, and you know what, since we're on the topic, let's talk about terpenes. Absolutely. Um, Terpenes, for for anyone out there that doesn't know what these are, they are uh, these sort of flavor and aroma compounds that are present in almost every plant. Um, they are what gives uh, particular fruits their characteristic smell and in, 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 in a lot of cases, the taste. So terpenes, and we know this based on science from aromatherapy research, the perfume industry has been using this science for, you know, for decades in creating the right blend of scents that is going to stimulate the mind and, and create a certain mood state like it could be you know almost like um like uh, an arousal type uh emotion that gets evoked um i'll use the example of of the terpene linalool right linalool is um the predominant terpene in lavender and we know from aromatherapy that lavender does have a soothing calming type effect on the body we know the molecular science behind that and how it interacts with the serotonin receptors and how it modulates that experience. So linalool has been proven to have these effects. Linalool is present in some cannabis strains in, in very high quantities. So it's not just the THC. It's these aroma compounds that when ingested sort of modulate the THC effect and create the mood state that you're really, you know, you're experiencing um, or help to create it, I should say. I've been throwing around this sort of uh, metaphor for a long time. I'm not sure if it's, if it's still germane here, but I've always told people THC is like the gas pedal. How fast do you, are you going to go? While the other non-THC cannabinoids, CBD being the most commonly uh, understood one, are sort of like the clutch. And I guess, you, you know, this is aging because you have to know how to drive a, a manual <laughs> transmission. <laughs> right. But um, THC being the gas pedal and the non-THC cannabinoids being the clutch, right? To sort of modulate the smoothness of the ride uh, while the terpenes are the trim inside the car. Are you rocking around in an old beat-up 
you know, 1989 Hyundai or are you in a brand new Mercedes Benz? And the feeling that you get inside those different automobiles and the feeling you get with the different rides, those are how I always sort yeah. of tell people what music you have this. on, right, you know, right. is the seat massager on, you know, is it, like <laughs> the environment around you. Yeah, that, right. that level is, of that sort is of terpene controlled for the most part. And what's interesting, Jay, being um, the uh, the the most in-depth academic uh, sort of uh, thought guy I know, um, I came oh, into thanks, the lab John. the other day. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I it, might, it, it might actually be mail. Well, yeah. Yeah. so I walked, in, I walked into the lab the other day, and Jay actually had um, he was exploring the uh, the science of the scent of blueberries and what mm. i found fascinating it's a sickness <laughs> it might be um so there are, i think i saw on that list about 37 different terpenes in various con- concentrations are what the nasal mucosa has to actually recept to tell your brain that you are experiencing the scent of blueberry but 37 different compounds have to be in their appropriate ratios for you to be able to say that's blueberry Right. So this is where we all of the and blueberries can probably make people feel certain ways. Right. Or like the scent of blueberry, just as you pointed out, the scent of lavender. I mean, I've been putting lavender under my kids pillows for for years in the summertime. We have little sachets of it. Right. Remember, my mom used to give it to me. Brandy on the gums. Sure. You know, you (laughs) said I'd be lying if I said I didn't try it. But um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, these these compounds, there's a lot of sort of life experience we've all lived where we know the certain scents are relaxing or invigorating the scent of citrus right you look you're in the you're in the shampoo aisle or the soap aisle and you're like ah citrus blast that'll wake me up in the morning right but if i'm i'll take a shower at night i think i'm gonna go with the chamomile lavender dove right so i mean these things are already in our our everyday lives we already see this stuff and it translates very well into cannabis, surprisingly. Yeah, and, and you, you'll also notice too. Again, I, I liken this to to wines, right? And if anybody out there is uh, into wines, I mean, there's a stark difference between the taste, the aroma of white wine versus red wine, and you know, let alone the different varietals that are present in each one of those, uh, you know, those sort of uh, categories. But you know, quite honestly, I mean. The citrus effect, that uplifting effect, um, a lot of people associate white wine with sort of daytime drinking, right? Whereas red wine, which is more f- sort of dark fruit, tends to be a little bit more sedating. The, the, you know, the sort of flavor and aroma compounds in there that help your mind to sort of experience that mood state. I mean, sure, you can drink red wine during the day. And if you're in a stimulating environment, you're probably not going to fall asleep. But it definitely does have more of a soothing effect than the sort of energetic effect and sort of uplifting effect that sort of white wine has. And, you know, look, I mean, the, the wine industry knows this, the, the um, um, you know, aromatherapy industry knows it, um, the fragrance industry knows it. Cannabis is, is we're, we're sort of new on the science front here, but we're incorporating everything that we know in this, you know, this enterprise now to really kind of get it to where it needs to be so that people can have that sort of curated experience. Really fascinating stuff that we could probably spend five, six hours just going into. I'm fascinated about the uh, the ex- experimentation on blueberries. I mean, that is that's next level right there. <laughs> Thirty seven terpenes, <laughs> scent of blueberries. Last area for today, um, something that is a major question for a lot of people is consumption methods and understanding the difference between fundamentally between edible and inhaled experiences. And then also, what is the safest way to consume inhaled cannabis? So 
beginning, I guess, with that broad overview of the experience of edible versus, or now even drinkable, I guess you would say, versus um, inhalable. And and I suppose in the in, in in the edible side, you could put tinctures and things like that as well right now. So how does that interact with the body from Jump Street throughout the, the, the entire experience? I think you, you should split it into to two methods, or really three, I suppose, if you include transdermal. So there's three modes of ingestion of, of cannabis products. You can use your lungs, which has a very thin barrier between your blood and the outside world. And so materials that are exposed to that area, that they call them the alveolar sacs, um, will actually just translocate across that membrane into your bloodstream immediately. Uh, you can ingest it so it goes through the GI tract and it's absorbed through your stomach. And in that case, we have something called the first pass metabolism system. So all of that ingested material from your stomach actually passes through the liver first for a, a first round of, of metabolism and, and detoxification. And then there's transdermal approach, which is similar to, um, to inhalation through the lungs, um, but has a bit of a, a, a stronger barrier to go through. And that's actually a big understatement, but, um, but it, is, it is similar um, in that it does not go through the first pass metabolism effect. And it, sorry, I don't mean to interject, but one other, I mean, I would say sublingual is probably another category. Sure. That yeah, it's it's similar to ingesting it orally, but you bypass that, that the liver on the first round. Hey, tell, them the the, tell them about the distal one-third of the, from the anal verge, too. Okay. Let's get super medical well, here. To, exactly. to Jay's well, point, the very beginning and the very end of your GI tract actually don't go through your liver, interestingly right. enough. They so go suppositories straight, yeah, the, do not the, go through the liver. The venous blood flow goes straight to the heart, to the lungs, to the brain without going through the liver first. But if you pass through the alimentary tract from the stomach to the small bowel, you absorb things into the, you know, the gut blood supply and all of that filters through the liver first. It's just how we're made. So the reason why that's important is the liver actually transforms the active ingredients into other active forms. And when you talk about the differences between inhaling versus ingesting versus putting something on your skin, really we're talking about differences in how quickly you feel the effects and how long the effects last. So if you're going to inhale a substance, that is usually the most rapid onset of effect. It's between three and five minutes on average. And it typically, the, the duration of that effect, depending on how much you, you take in, you know, if you take, say, you know, one puff or one pull off a vaporizer or whatever, you know, you can expect that effect to last about an hour and a half to two hours. If you have an edible, it's usually a delayed onset, you know, so it has to get absorbed first, then it has to get processed by the liver, then it has to circulate through the body. That takes about 45 minutes to an hour. Sometimes it can take longer depending on your genetics. And but what you've eaten. Let's not, there are a lot of and, variables. And what you've eaten, there are a exactly. lot of variables that go into edibles that are, you know, you need to know. Yeah, but the duration of that you know, effect tends to be much longer with edibles. So in anyone that's tried a, you know, a gummy or a candy or whatever knows that, you know, you're, you're sort of planning on that experience for at least a good six to eight hours, um, as opposed to an inhalable product that is sort of a quick onset, shorter lived. And it, it's important to know like, if you, if you take just as if you take any medication really on an empty stomach, it is going to pass through, and, and most of these medications, most of these compounds are absorbed actually in the small intestine, um, some in the stomach, but mostly in the small intestine. If it gets past your stomach quickly, because your stomach's like, well, there's nothing in here, you open the gate, right? There's a gate at the end of your stomach that lets food into the, into the small intestine. Nothing here, go ahead, go right through. The, the, uh, the latency period between taking it and actually feeling an effect is much shorter 
than if you've had something to eat in your stomach, which will not only reduce the amount that's actually going out in a period of time, it'll hold some back. And so, you know, I always tell, you know, my younger patients, if you're going to be drinking, please have some fatty food. Um, Eat tacos on the nights you go out with your friends because it keeps your stomach closed a little longer and forces that the, the sort of slow release of alcohol so you don't get these massive spikes. So there's a lot of uh, factors, but food is probably the biggest uh, factor for um, edibles and how, how fast and how long they'll affect you. Yeah, so I would say, you know, when we're talking about cannabis being used in a medicinal sense, you know, as a medicine, these are important considerations. The formulation of the product, how it's, how it's used. Um, some people are, don't like to inhale anything. You know, so they may be more in favor of something in pill form or, or a chewable candy or, or a lozenge or something like that, or even a topical where you put it on your skin and it tends to have a longer duration of effect, kind of slower onset. So these are all of the, you know, what we call the, the pharmacokinetic, you know, pharmacokinetic type um, attributes of, of the way products are made and, and, and the reason why they're made in those formulations and how those apply to treating various conditions. Um, someone that has chronic pain um, may want a longer duration of effect. They may prefer, prefer an inedible type product as opposed to a product that they inhale. Um, so that's, you know, that's one, one area of, of discussion. But, you know, another is, you know, if you're, if you're trying to look at each one of these individual categories, um, there are definitely, uh, particularly in, in, in the category of inhalational um, uh, uh, products, there are definitely more healthy ways to consume these products. Yeah, well, let's, let's just, smoking is bad, kids. Yeah. So, you know, any inhaling combusted plant material in general, not a great idea. Um, you know, in moderation, and, and we all, you know, live in moderation, hopefully, um, in moderation, a little bit of inhaled um, marijuana smoke is probably okay. Not going to give you lung cancer, not going to give you emphysema, um, not going to cause throat cancer. But in general, inhaling combusted plant material is something you probably want to try and stay away from. And it's just too hot. And it creates carcinogens when you burn material and char material. And, and, and it also loses a lot of the actual active compounds that we're talking about because they volatilize and they disappear yeah, before they you're ever off. even actually able to get them. So I would say, first of all, edibles are harder. We're talking about this, the cannabinoids and the terpenes and all these things, how they work in concert and how they're all sort of important. Edibles are harder to get all of the natural sort of experience of the plant as it's grown. So just as if you went to the florist and they tried to sell you, you know, four-day-old roses, you'd be like, no, maybe not. Fresher, the better. So fresh cannabis that's consumed at a low temperature but heated, in my opinion, is probably the, the, the best way to experience um, the effect of something based on its compounds. Right. So vaporizing, vaporizing dry flour would probably be, in my opinion, um, and, and, you know, going in toward the future, hopefully we've got dose metered inhalation devices to figure out how much you're actually ingesting. But that would probably be the safest method of, of inhaling. Right. And, you know, just to, to clarify a little bit more, I mean, you know, when you're heating and you're burning something with flame, those temperatures get very, very high. You're creating carbon byproducts there. Um, it's like a well-done steak on the grill that's got a little bit of char on it. You know, we know that more char on, on meats from the grill actually are, are linked to increased rates of colon cancer. I mean, cancer, charring cancer, and carbonization, when you put those products into your body, they cause inflammation. And chronic inflammation causes cancer. Make no mistake about it. So if you're heating and you're smoking with flame, you know, again, I mean, to each his own, but I will tell you that that is a less healthy way 
than smoking with, say, an herbal vaporizer where you heat to a certain temperature. You don't actually burn the plant matter. You don't create those carbon byproducts. And anyone that uses an herbal vaporizer as opposed to, you know, smoking with flame will tell you that, you know, the breath in is much less caustic. You know, you tend to not cough as much. It doesn't cause that inflammatory response in the airways. So, yes, there are dangers to smoking with flame. Um, just like with cigarettes. Now, I would I would say that, you know, there could be other additives in cigarettes that make them more carcinogenic. Um, but that being said, you know, if you're talking about inhalational methods, you know, using a vaporizer is always going to be safer than smoking with flame. Um, and, you know, again, when we talk about vaporizers, there's the herbal vaporizer where you actually grind the flower and you smoke the actual flower. You heat that and release the active compounds into a vapor and take that into the lungs. And, and that is sort of a pure, assuming the product is pure, a pure way of getting the active ingredients into the system. You can also use uh, ionizing vaporizers with concentrates. And to be honest, um, if you want the the total effect, you know, you should try to buy, purchase, use full spectrum extracts where they, they literally try to preserve the integrity of that ratio of those active ingredients as best they can. Now, you always get some loss when you extract something from the flower. Um, but the idea being that, you know, if you're using those cartridges, again, lab testing is key because we did see the vape crisis oh, yeah. in 2019. I mean, this, this hit hard. And what that was is it was actually introducing um, a substance that wasn't meant to be there into these, these oil concentrates as a cutter to help dilute them out. And that substance actually accumulated in the lungs and filled those air spaces so that people couldn't oxygenate well and they're showing up to the hospital in respiratory distress. Yeah. Now, that is, that's the point is that, you know, if you use a safe tested product that is free from harmful ingredients, um, you know, inhalation is a good way to get the product in the bloodstream quicker. And it's a more controlled microdose type experience as opposed to... It gets out faster. Right. Gets mm-hmm. out faster also. Yeah. Yeah, um, but, but those, I mean, you know, we could talk for hours about yeah. this stuff. It's just, uh, you know, as a once over, these are sort of the general things that, that consumers should be thinking about. But I just want to impress on something that, that Jay said, the full spectrum sort of um, concentrates that you do see out there are so important to me because it's sort of like virgin olive oil. The first press of those olives contain all of those, the compounds that we're all looking for in really delicious virgin olive oil, which I love. And the next press is different, doesn't contain all those compounds. And people know the difference. You can tell the difference in an instance, especially yeah. if you've got a last name like Jay. <laughs> so uh, the, the the cannabis concentrates that are not full spectrum, they're just, they're they're cheap knockoffs, in my opinion, again. You want something that is, if you're, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go buy wine, buy decent wine. And if you're gonna go buy cannabis, buy real, organic you know produced from the plant that represents the plant by that yeah i mean but again it also depends on your mindset as a consumer i mean if people really just want the thc effect and they're using this in a recreational sense and they're like look you know you I can just, buy grain alcohol yeah i mean you can you, you can <laughs> exactly. buy you sure. know, yeah you can sure. buy an extract that that pretty much is almost all thc yeah um, but if you do want would all not recommend the potential it. medicinal properties and if you're using this for other reasons then yeah the more sort of uh concentrated products the extract the extract products tend to lose some of the compounds that could be beneficial. And, and there's a lot of science left here to uncover. So. I'm going to go back to that commercial with the frying egg in the pan. Yeah. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. I think they should redo it and have this is your brain. This is your brain on THC only products. Because I do think THC only products have 
I, I can't even think of an, an actual good use of a THC only ingestion. Mm. Yeah, I, and this is mm-hmm. again. I mean, I don't know how much time we have left here, but this is one of the other. I would say important elements to consider as a consumer, especially as Rhode Island here is moving into a recreational market where there are going to be a lot of curious consumers that are trying cannabis for the first time. They're listening to people like us and they're saying, well, you know what, maybe everything I thought about cannabis was all wrong and I want to give this a shot. I want to try it. You walk into a dispensary now and the majority of products out there are going to be THC only and they're going to be high potency. And that can be a very unnerving experience for a first-time consumer my grandma's never going back yeah so we know we know and again with some of the medical risks associated with high potency thc you know that element of psychosis and people that are genetically predisposed to developing schizophrenia yes this could trigger the first psychotic event when you put eeg electrodes on a scalp and you monitor brain activity during um you know intoxication of various combinations of THC and CBD in these products. What we see is that the THC effect, the electrical activity in the brain really mimics that which we see in psychosis states in schizophrenic patients. Now, when you add CBD to that THC in at least a one-to-one ratio, you calm that abnormal electrical activity down. Subjectively, the individual still experiences all the beneficial effects of the quote-unquote high or the experience, but that you know, electrical activity that's suggestive of psychosis goes away. So by taking the CBD out of these products, by selectively breeding plants and genetically engineering them to produce more and more THC at the expense of the CBD that otherwise would have been produced, we are developing products that are moving away from that element of mainstream appeal to the general population. They're more geared toward the consumers that are really just like, I just want to rip the biggest, you know what I mean? Like that is not where I see this industry going. That's not where I see the industry succeeding. I see the industry having to appeal to almost anybody who wants to use this in a constructive way. So the point here being when you are buying products, particularly if you are a novice consumer, look for products that have CBD in combination with THC in at least a one-to-one ratio. Please, There are still medicinal products out there, and I hate to use strain names, but ACDC, Harlequin, those are really you know heavily weighted on the CBD side with a little less THC. Sure, and what that CBD does is it's sort of like it just widens the lane of travel a little bit. Picture yourself in a car going 90 miles an hour in a very narrow lane. You know, like when they have the construction barriers on the side, That's and right. you're like, yeah. oh my god, and you're grabbing the wheel. <laughs> That's THC only. If you then put in the breakdown lane and you open up the highway to be three lanes now, that's THC and CBD. That's good. It's a much more control. I know. I love the the, the vehicle analogy. So anyway, just to put that in there, and we can certainly talk much more about this in, in future episodes, but the CBD effect is important. If you do not have access to products that have a combination of CBD and THC, consider buying a CBD tincture or something that you can put a couple drops under your tongue to soften that experience. You can even take a a CBD gel capsule, which um, my wife takes before she goes to bed every single night. And, um, you know, finally after three kids, she's finally gotten a good night's sleep because she takes, you know, 20 milligrams of CBD before she goes to bed. Um, Please have some CBD if you're a novice cannabis consumer um, on board 
whether it's just a, a soft gel or whether it's a tincture or, or whatnot, it's really important. And if you're interested in the science, go to our website, purevitalabs.com or go to our Instagram because we do discuss the actual, I'm a molecular biology nerd and I love this stuff, the actual receptor interaction, the actual science behind how CBD modulates the THC receptor activity um, and how it actually binds to other receptors, which is really, we won't get into it right now, but it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, there's a ton of science here. And again, I mean, we just, we're going to lead people into this in, in smaller, we're going to microdose it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, these are just take home messages right now as we start to get ready for a recreational market. I mean, there are ways to give cannabis a, a fair chance to see if it fits into your life in a controlled way. But, you know, I, I believe that the product offerings now are not, you know, entirely conducive to uh, that introductory experience for everybody. And there are ways to go about it so that you can still get that experience and not totally ruin it. Last quick question here for consumers of flower products, mixing different strains, maybe, you know, you have a THC only strain and then you say, well, I want to soften that with a CBD strain. Good idea, bad idea. Great idea. I mean, honestly, I I see very little um, issue with uh, mixing and matching. I mean, if, if, you might not know what sort of experience you'll wind up with, but I think if you're a relatively seasoned um, individual who understands the effect of flour in general on you, you'll be just fine. Um, but I do, I think it's great to have some CBD with any of these products, period, the end. Um, to, to that point, uh, you can go to um, hemp farms and you can buy it online, thankfully now. You can have really high quality CBD sent to you in, in hashish form, basically, powdered form. And you can put that in your uh into your 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 flower material um so you can adjust you know having more cbd in the plant material you have if if there was no cbd in it so i think it's perfectly fine to mix and match you will not you know i i once poured uh jay got a bottle of camus which he loves so much and i had a glass of wine that i think had like Ernest gallo in it and um I poured the camus into the glass that had the little Ernest Gallo in it, and I think Jay almost had a, a an apoplectic event um, <laughs> because you're mixing and you know, how you can't taste it anymore. Right. You wasted a glass of camus, but um, in 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 my sort of um, in my opinion, I think it's it's just fine. Gentlemen, as always, thanks so much. This is Inside Cannabis presented by Pure Vita Labs. Again, visit Pure Vita Labs. Dot com. Go ahead and check out their Instagram, which has a, lo- a ton of information. You're also on Twitter, Jay, as well. Yep. Dr. Safe Cannabis. Uh, yeah, at Dr. Safe Cannabis. Which is yep. great. And um, check out all the episodes here, ripodcast.com. You can find, if you just keyword Pure Vita or Cannabis, you'll be able to find all the episodes we've done and add them to a playlist and you know enjoy that because I know a lot of you have. Um, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, fellas. All right, Thank always you. a pleasure, Bill. Day. Thanks.